didn't really get into the crack pipes for a couple years after that but eventually that became my my weapon of choice but during all of that period of time you know it was it was all open it was md speed ice anything that was like a party drug it's just so different to like how i remember you like how did you even get into this place where some of this stuff started opening up for you like was there one big moment that you had or was there something that happened in particular that set this sort of like chain of events off for you this is a good question to ask because we're on the real drug talk and i guess it's really drugs you know it's it's the stopping drugs that opened up so much more space in my life to start focusing my energy towards creating something lasting and something beneficial for the world um, I think what you said before about like extreme characters, generally they have the potential for great, great success, but it just needs to be channeled. And I feel that at a very young age, I fully felt within my body and within my essence that I had great gifts to offer the world. And I, I always knew that I would do so. But for some period during the mutual chapter that we've shared in, I was just misguided and that that unlimited capacity and that unlimited energy to create was focused towards creating havoc, creating yeah, drama, creating trauma, really. Um, just not necessarily channeled towards something positive. It was just like, all right, I'm going to use all of this gusto, all of this fire, and I'm just going to be the most hectic cooked well-known cunt that i can possibly be and that to me just seems like a good idea you know what i mean and um once i kind of started to recognize that that wasn't beneficial for me and it was actually selling myself short and slapping god in the face for the gifts that he'd given me i turned my shit around i got my sh i got myself sober i spent a lot of time processing my experiences and realigning myself with my spirit and um yeah just a lot of inner self-work to get myself back towards the momentum of achieving and growing and um it took some time like it wasn't straight away but i've gotten through the thick of it and um now it's just up what i was saying was um this podcast will be cool because uh yeah we know each other but it's been a it's been a long time since like we've spoken to each other and we're kind of re-meeting each other as like different people in a different in a final form some shit like that <laughs> um or an evolving <laughs> form um so so yeah i'm excited to chat to you man and and i'm excited i also get excited as well because sometimes like with the stories and shit when i talk to people you connect with it but like you don't really connect like and i feel like i'm gonna really know like what you're talking about um with some of these stories so i'm excited about that as well um but this show is called Real Drug Talk. So can you give us the quick three-minute elevator pitch, the quick three-minute story, and we'll vibe from there about, like, your history with substances? Sweet, bro. I actually <laughs> uh, did a little market research and tuned into one of your episodes of uh, – I can't remember his name, but he's like this, you know, that guy. Um, and I laughed. I, know the guy. I laughed when you <laughs> – yeah, yeah. I laughed when you asked him for a three-minute pitch, but um, – I didn't, I didn't expect it, but I'll go for it. Um, three minute elevator pitch of my history with drugs. That's the, that's the question. Yeah. Yep. 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 Cool. Um, all right. So from a young age, I was always fascinated in being older, I guess I could say. And, uh, all the older role models I was looking up to generally in hip hop and my older brothers, even my mom on the slide behind the back shed was, um, they were smoking weed or they were drinking or this or that. <laughs> Um, so I always found it really interesting and I all, I've always kind of had this complex of trying to get 
get ahead, you know, get ahead. And um, for me, I wanted to grow up way too quick. So it started really, I guess I could say I was stealing videos out of my brother's room when we go to Blockbuster and rent movies. Me and my sister got, you know, the PG ones and they got the MA ones. And I watched a couple movies where, you know, it was glorified to get stoned or, you know, go on a bender so that got me excited for getting older and doing that myself yeah. um bought a, bought some weed off this dude who wrote prime from balaclava who's a <laughs> who's an absolute legend he um my brother hooked me up with him i got that weed i went i was hanging out in homes Glen at the time tried to roll a joint didn't realize that you needed to crumble it up and mix it so i just rolled a whole butt into a paper and it didn't smoke <laughs> um fast forward a little bit started drinking with my mates at that age figured out how to do bongs um and then that progressively it's, it's kind of like a snowball effect i guess it just got bigger and bigger and more and more hectic over time but uh, i think eventually it was maybe about the age 15 maybe even 14 i um got curious about ecstasy got some bickies had bickies i was like this is fucking dope spent all my saved up birthday and christmas money on ecstasy for a while when I ran out of that cash, I had a loot bag of stolen phones, stolen cameras, got my brother to help me sell them. My brother decided to trade them in with a dealer in South Yarra for um, ICE and GHB. This is when I'm 15. Um, and I, would, I just went along with it. So I smoked a crack pipe at that age. Didn't really get into the crack pipes for a couple of years after that, but eventually that became my, my weapon of choice. Um, and that continued, you know, from about 17, it was getting pretty regular. And then from that point on, it got more and more regular till about the age of 23. Um, and yeah, that was almost 10 years ago that I stopped smoking ice. But during all of that period of time, you know, it was, it was all open. It was MD, speed, ice, anything that was like a party drug. I never really got into the like um, prescription drugs or anything like that. Anything that slowed me down, I wasn't too interested in. Um, and then, yeah, 10, 10 years ago, I quit smoking ice. And since then, I've pretty much slowly become more and more sober to the point where I'm at now that I, I dabble or I... Um, I wouldn't say dabble. I've got a relationship with psychedelics that is a medicinal, healthy, ceremonial kind of relationship. Yeah, interesting. And I'm really keen to talk to you about that as well. Because um, like I've had this like shift, you know, when I got, when, people have heard, sorry, people listening, I fucking talk about this all the time. But yeah, like when I first <laughs> got sober, I like had, I was like, I did the NA thing and I was almost like evangelical about like, Ah, be like clean and sober because my life was so fucked before and then it's like mm. changed to like un understanding that there's like this full spectrum um that you can have and relationship that you can have with um substances all different kinds of substances and there's people that use them in different kinds of ways so i'm interested to talk to you about that but just going back growing up i, th I think that's really interesting i relate to that um just wanting to be older for me it was like my cousins um you know like what were the influences going on at the time? Like, um, did you grow up in Balaclava? You mentioned that a couple of times. Is that like where you were kind of born and raised? Uh, yeah, I grew up in Balaclava till the age of 15, 15. And then my mum and dad split up and um, I got bounced around from uh, Ormond. Mum lived in Ormond for a bit and then I was living in Paran a lot. So yeah. mainly, mainly I would say Balaclava and Paran were like kind of my hometowns, but generally yeah. the Sandingham line was the whole dwelling. Yeah. yeah. And um, there are like, it's, it's a pretty interesting place to grow up, uh, I would say, particularly, well, it's still the same now, I guess, but probably a bit 
even a little bit more like amplified what was that in like the 2000s or or the 90s or or some somewhere around then but yeah like really like gentrified area you have like people from all different kind of socioeconomic backgrounds was it like a real melting pot was it almost like exciting when you're growing up like going out you know with your brothers having fun all that kind of stuff yeah for sure um it definitely was a melting pot st kilda balaclava chapel street um our house backed it was on Inkerman street and it backed onto a laneway and that was like a hot spot for prostitution so i was yeah. aware of what <laughs> prostitutes were really young and found that super fascinating we'd always find needles in the laneways and you know the drains st kilda drains where we used to go to paint um and yeah just like heaps of graffiti heaps of different characters like it was really like a full spectrum there's super rich people in the area and then there's like the the lowest of low as well socioeconomically um yeah and yeah all sorts of color so yeah it was it was exciting and um i still love going there yeah um do you reckon growing up in a space like that do you reckon that like turbo chart well you kind of said in a way it did but do you reckon just like having the awareness of all that stuff kind of turbocharged your experience with your own story and everything that happened and you know getting involved in everything that you got involved in or do you reckon you would have just got there anyway you know like say if you grew up in fucking Cranbourne or something do you reckon like things would have been different um if you had a different upbringing um I can't say about Cranbourne because honestly, I have no idea what Cranbourne's like, but um, <laughs> I actually, I actually generally think that I'm just like an extreme person. I'm just super yeah. extreme. And so I don't know if it would have been a lot different if I hadn't have been in Balaclava. It's kind of like, I've always felt like I'm trying to be bigger than I am in a way yeah. um, and achieve something huge. And that just seems to be just, by taking risks and and being extreme basically so yeah i think like to be more specific definitely my life would have been different in some way or another i'm not sure how different or in what ways it would have been different but i think um yeah because i've been in different places i've lived in different spots and generally i'm always i've always historically um tried to live life large yeah 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 um that's really interesting so like just so everybody listening knows it's it's sort of weird so i'm just going to change it up a bit because like i feel like i'm asking yeah, cool, questions man. and it's dumb but like because i kind of know the answer to some of them but me me and patty have like uh, mutual friends um and grew up kind of around the same circles um with, we could with even people. say we had a mutual chapter i'd, I'd call it mutual chapter that's right that's right um and um my I remember like the first time or not the, I don't remember the first time I met you, but I remember meeting you and exactly like what you're saying is kind of like how you were, you know, like without saying, without being, um, without sounding fucking like a wank or anything, but you always were like really well known, you know, like as Esky, as this guy out there and you're always like pretty kind of quirky and like very <laughs> like noticeable and like doing shit you know um uh was that like a conscious thing when you were growing up were you always like thinking about how can i get people to know me how, how can i you know or, or is that just you like as a person yeah honestly i think i always had a bit of a i, I always had a bit of a 
psychological complex, I guess, where I wanted to be known. I wanted to be famous. I wanted power. I wanted success. And um, just so happens during that mutual chapter of ours, the direction or the way that I was creating, um, creating that was through creating a criminal reputation or whatever it was. Because to me at that stage, that's what was deemed as the coolest kind of the biggest, the most successful, I guess, in that, in that world or in that kind of culture was just to have a reputation and have a level of respect slash a level of fear, um, which would, you know, combine to create power. And that's what I was kind of going for. Um, and it's interesting that you bring that up because today I'm now living on some land and I'm like doing all sorts of shit. But one of the things that I'm working on is I'm clearing a lot of the land for future projects and I was just clearing some land today, just in, in reflection mode. And I was feeling really, really confident about where my future's going and kind of this feeling of um, the last few years have been a bit of foreplay. And this year I'm going to get really, really serious and start like succeeding at these goals I've been slowly building up. Yeah. Um, and the thought kind of popped into my mind of like this full self-belief of like, I can fucking do anything. Anything that I want to achieve, I will achieve. And at that age, it was that. And I achieved that. And then from since then, it's been other things. It's like I just, any any kind of like goal that I aim myself towards, I seem to be able to get because of this, maybe this extreme mental state that I talked about earlier. Um, but yeah, I think that that's just always kind of been how I am. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. It's kind of, to be honest, it's like in different ways, it's kind of a characteristic that I notice in most people that have like a, have some part in their story like a destructive um you know past with like substances is there's there's like this kind of like obsession or drive um and if it can be channeled in the right way like you know good good shit usually happens um so for everybody listening like what are you doing now what's what's like your focus what are you what are you working on what are you working towards like i kind of have some idea with like the hip-hop stuff but um, it sounds like you're doing other stuff as well. Spoke to you the other day. You're doing like mental health workshops, um, which I didn't know about. Clearing land, yeah. This sounds like there's a few things going on. Yeah. Um, one thing I'm trying to work on at the moment is word economy. I feel like uh, that's that's a that's a skill I could lean towards. Um, yeah. Using less words to explain the same story. So to summarize it, I feel like what I'm trying to do right now is to build a personal brand. I recognize that we can put our energy towards companies or organizations or this or that, but that's not necessarily an infinite game. Whereas a personal brand is an infinite game. You know, I could fucking lose everything, but if my personal brand is strong, I can rebuild it because it will die when I die. So right now I feel like, and what I was reflecting on earlier today was like, Oh, I'm actually like, I'm getting there. And, you know, being asked to be on an interview or on a podcast is one example of like, a step towards growing my personal brand. So what encompasses my personal brand at this stage is my hip hop. It's my podcast. It's writing. I write a travel blog. It's um, this land that I inherited from my mom that I'm trying to turn into a retreat center. Um, it's a, it's a poetry performance business, which I just landed a really good gig, a corporate gig um, a couple of days ago from an email that I never even applied for. So, and then there's this, uh, there's this staging business that I'm doing for music festivals as well. So it's like heaps of different shit, but I feel like, um, 
the way that I've been for, for years, and this is why I call it foreplay. It's like just this slow simmer. I've got maybe like six pots on the cooker and I'm just like slowly cooking each thing, you know, taking my time with it, slow burning. And I just feel like, you know, the feast is ready. It's about to be eaten. And this year it's just fucking take over time. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's awesome. And it's, it's so interesting, like talking to you, um, it's just so different to like how I remember you. Like, how did you even get into this place where some of this stuff started opening up for you? Like, was there one big moment that you had or was there something that happened in particular that set this sort of like chain of events off for you? Yeah. Um, this is a good question to ask because we're on the real drug talk and I guess it's really drugs, you know, it's, it's the stopping drugs that opened up so much more space in my life to start focusing my energy towards creating something lasting and something beneficial for the world. Um, yeah. I think what you said before about like extreme characters, generally they they have the potential for great, great success, but it just needs to be channeled. And I feel that at a very young age, I fully felt within my body and within my essence that I had great gifts to offer the world. And I, I always knew that I would do so. But for some period during the mutual chapter that we've shared in, I was just misguided and that that unlimited capacity and that unlimited energy to create was focused towards creating havoc, creating yeah, drama, creating trauma, really, yeah. um, just not necessarily <laughs> channeled towards something positive. It was just like, all right, I'm going to use all of this gusto, all of this fire, and I'm just going to be the most hectic cooked well-known cunt that i can possibly be and that to me just seems like a good idea you know what i yeah. mean and um once i kind of started to recognize that that wasn't beneficial for me and it was actually selling myself short and slapping god in the face for the gifts that he'd given me i turned my shit around i got my sh i got myself sober i spent a lot of time processing my experiences and realigning myself with my spirit and um yeah just a lot of inner self-work to get myself back towards a momentum of achieving and growing. And, um, it took some time, like it wasn't straight away, but I've gotten through the thick of it. And, um, now it's just up, up. So how did you get, how did you get sober? Like what was there? Like, what did you uh, actually yeah. do? Did you go to like rehab or anything like that? No, I didn't. I never, I never did that. Um, I think like, it's, it's, it's like, there's a few parts to the sobriety story. The first is, um, and I told this recently on the 3000 podcast, but the, the ice thing, um, it was fun for the first few years. And then for the following four years, it was like, I want to stop. I want to stop, but I can't, you know, it was just like, I could see that it wasn't any good. I could see that it was holding me back, but this cycle of repeating, repeating just was like unstoppable. I couldn't, I couldn't find a way to, um, build up the willpower to resist basically, and then um, during a during a point in a weekend where I was repeating that cycle of regret and then empty promises to myself to not do it again, I got a phone call. A friend had died. It just happened to hit me. This like sad news just hit me at the right moment. Oh, excuse me. And um, both of those elements worked together for me to just like snap out of it. Basically, it was kind of like this realization of. I'm having an opportunity to live and I'm wasting it doing this and I'm wasting my time in regret. And this person's no longer got their opportunity to live. And, you know, it made me realize I was taking life for granted. And it made me also realize that life is fragile and not promised. 
And yeah. so it really like woke me up to myself. And I think like during that period of time, I feel like I really abandoned myself and there's certain moments where life was so real that I couldn't actually avoid myself. And in those moments I felt the, the agonizing pain from my soul crying out for attention that I was just like fully ignoring all the time. And in moments like that, it was just like, Whoa, I'm fucking depressed right now. I'm so sad because I'm so, I'm so not here with me, you know? And so that moment really like snapped me out of the ice addiction. And I went cold Turkey from that point on. And, and I dedicated quitting to the life of this person, which seemed to work as well. There was another tool I developed, which I've used since is like, I sometimes have more motivation to do things if it's for others. And so in that moment, it's like, all right, I'm going to quit for him. And then boom, I had more power to do so. Yeah. And then I had a relapse on the ice like seven months later and it wasn't really a relapse relapse. It was just like someone offered me a pipe. I smoked it. And then I was like, fuck, that was stupid. Why, why did I do that? And then that was it. After that, it was just full done. Wow. And in that moment yeah. as well, I was like, oh, I've done this now. I might as well make it productive. And I, I remember I just cleaned the fuck out of my room and made it fucking dope. <laughs> and then I was like, well, at least I got that <laughs> out of this situation. But yeah. Um, but yeah, that was done, done time for that. But then I continued to take party drugs and other things and go to festivals and all of that. And um, I think largely the the thing that keeps people trapped a lot in their behaviors is an attachment to their identity. And so like what you just said, 100%. I created such a big identity. I created such a big character that, you know, the bigger the mask got, the more stuck to my face it was, but also the heavier it was to carry. And all yeah. those years of like building this, building this, building this, it was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then, you know, there's these moments where you're like, fuck, do I want to do this anymore? Or do I want to try something new? And it's like, yeah, but if I take the mask off, it means all these years of like building that were a waste, were a waste of time and a waste of energy. And it's like, so people get trapped with their identity and also like the fear of the unknown. Like, whoa, if I take the mask off, will people still accept me? Will people still want me around? What will life be like if I'm not this character? And it's so scary, the unknown. And I think in the Western world, we're so conditioned to be dependent on comfort and safety that um, people are really like lacking in courage and bravery and letting your identity die is a courageous act, but it's also super necessary because everything's impermanent, right? Like the law of nature is things come and they go and that's life yeah. and that's death. And um, it reached a point of me after the ice continuing on this character of like the wild party boy who would climb up on the side of the stage and fucking do this and do that. And like, you know, like I've talked about this a few times on podcasts and what I realized is I've become really serious and I always talk about it with a negative tone. And I never really mentioned that I was also having heaps of fun. Like I was having yeah. a lot of fun and I was offering fun a lot to of hang, fun you to were, others. You were fun to hang around. Yeah. <laughs> right. Thank you, bro. <laughs> um, but I've become bitter in my story because I've re recognized how damaging it was for me. And, but I've forgotten to look at the other side of the coin of like, yeah, but I was also having a lot of fun and um, creating a lot of beautiful memories more so for others. Cause I could rarely remember my experiences. <laughs> um, but yeah, there was a lot of fun times to be had as well. But within that space, there was a recognizing that I had more to offer and my energy was very much going towards partying and taking drugs and then you know i'd crash and burn and i'd be you know in bed doing fuck all for a few days and then i'd get up and i'd do it again and eventually i just wanted that character to to die i was just like over it i remembered my childhood i remembered my self-belief and 
my talents and all of this stuff that I wasn't seeming to use any of my energy on. And I just became more interested in that. And so bit by bit, drug by drug, one after the other, I was like, oh, I'm sick of that, sick of that, sick of that. And then, you know, it would have just been alcohol, MD and cocaine if I was lucky enough to be offered a line because I'd never buy that shit. But it was probably around that stage where I was, you know, in these last final straws. And um, what did it for me this time was a breakup. I, I was in a relationship. It was ending. It was near the end of the year, December. It was leading towards a New Year's festival called Tanglewood. And I recognized, all right, here's the death of a relationship, the ending of a relationship, the beginning of my life outside of a relationship. Here's yeah. the ending of this year, the beginning of this next year. And I created ritual out of that. I was like, what do I want this to mean for me? And I become curious similarly in the same way that I was curious about like what happens to my brain and my mind when I take drugs. I was like, oh, what happens to my brain and my mind when I don't take drugs? I was like, fuck, I don't think I've done that since I started taking drugs or drinking. It's like, what does the sober mind state actually feel like? And I became curious about that. So I started the year with a month sober. That was my dedication to myself. I was like, I'm just going to try a month. And then after one month, I was like, this was really quick and I also feel pretty good. Maybe I'll just try another month. And then after another month, I realized there wasn't any point to putting a time limit, a time limit on it. And I just kept it going until I just kind of thought when this gets boring or I get over it, I'll just, you know, I'll reconvene. But it just didn't happen. Life just got better and better. And then I got addicted to how much better life could get and how much yeah. more I could grow and how much more I was achieving. And um, that kind of set it forward. How am I going on the word economy, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> nah, it's it's super interesting. I, I just like, it's it's such a weird thing. Like, you know, uh, as you would be the same, like the reason I do this show is because drugs in my life and all my friends' life and friends that aren't here anymore, like it's just it's just been such a dominant fucking thing in in my life like through family mm. through friends through myself and it's just like i find it so interesting just like hearing people's like insights that they kind of gather together out of their whole life and you said something about like shifting your identity um that's like another pattern that i've like seen when people i don't know if you want to call it i don't like the labeling it successfully but for the sake of using the words like successfully change their life or create better conditions in their life or whatever, they have this like shift in their identity and it's a hard fucking thing to change. Like, what do you think your identity is now? Like what, what did you shift it to? How, mm -hmm. how did you change it from that? You know, from Esky, you know, whatever that is to whatever you're doing now. Mm, that's a really good question. Um, how I would, uh, describe my identity now would be, I'd say like now I'm a, I'm a person who's more interested in depth and less interested in surface. Yeah. Um, I'm a person who's dedicated towards their own healing, developmental, um, healing and ancestral healing. I'm also much, much more dedicated to quality over quantity. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, very, very creative and driven. And um, I think in the, the core of why I'm driven is because I want to do good things for the world. 
Um, I recognize that the life that I've lived, although dark and traumatic also means that I've got a really powerful position to create good change and to relate to people that need positive role models. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm interested in alchemizing, you know, the, the coal into the gold, um, and offering the world something through my story. That's another thing I'd like to attribute to my, my identity as I'm a storyteller. And that took a lot of practice as well. I always recognize, and even back in those days that we shared, like there was some dope storytellers in the crew. I remember flares shout out to flares he just fucking used to like dominate a space when he'd be telling a story and i was so captivated (laughs) by whatever the story was and he'd get so like animated into it and then the cop car was like like like, it was just like there were hectic stories but the way that he told him was so engaging and i remember from a very young age just being super super interested in that and um didn't feel that i could do that so well at the time but over the years really felt that I wanted to be a storyteller. I feel like there's great power in that. And that's such an ancient um, thing that's connected to all cultures. All cultures are aligned with story and everything, all culture even today is aligned with story. Everything in the media and entertainment, everything is story, even what we're doing right now, obviously. So um, that was a big thing. And that's something that I really put myself in an identity space with as well and, and recognize how much work that took me because I remember those times when, I was phasing out of my identity of being like a hectic drug taking party boy, whatever. When I was like, Whoa, I actually want to change. Then I was trying to approach depth and conversations were so uncomfortable because I wasn't just like banter jokes, whatever, like loud, um, this and that to try and like create this like entertaining facade. It was like, Oh, now I'm trying to like deeply connect. All right. So how does this feel? And I couldn't do it, man. I remember that there was times where I'd be sitting in like a real space with someone and then feel anxious and then pretend I need to go to the toilet, just sit in a toilet cubicle just for a rest. And I just like sit there like <laughs> regulating, you know, <laughs> just like, well, this is too hectic, you know? And, um, it takes practice and I recognize like, all right, well, this is going to be really hard, but I need to face this head on. So I just like kept going towards it, kept going towards it. So conversation ability got better and storytelling got better because I would like take the opportunities to practice that. Um, I've forgotten the rest of the question, but that, that's me describing my identity. Um, yeah. nah, what, was super, it, what else did you add on there? No, nah, that, that's, that's it. Su- super interesting. Like I, I'm interested to know, you've mentioned a few times, like the work that you've done on yourself, like, mm what what is that or like how did you get to that point you know because people often say like yeah i did the work or do the work or whatever it's like and sometimes i feel like yelling like through the podcast not when i'm recording with people but listening to them i'm like what's the work (laughs) what what'd you do like what have you actually done to kind of get that depth and have those like awakenings and light bulb moments and stuff like that Mm. Excuse me, very gassy today. Must have been the right. curry that I had for lunch. Oh, um, I uh, where does it start? It's a good question because I remember, you know, like hearing people talk about the work, and yeah, I remember being curious, like, what work? How do I get there? What's the first step? This and that. And I guess like the first step that comes to mind right now is just self inquiry, just yeah. like actually questioning myself, questioning like also my conditioning and my behavior. So I do this in this situation. Why? Where does that come from? And then peeling back the layers and going deeper and deeper. And so like that self-inquiry journey 
leads towards a greater self-understanding just to yeah. know who I am. And um, I guess in the past I was, like I said earlier, like I never was really interested in, in the drugs that would slow me down. I, I just wanted to go fast. And it took sitting in Vipassana at age 30 for a 10 day silent meditation for me to realize that that was the first time I'd actually sat with myself, <laughs> you know, yeah. at, at, at age 30, sitting down for 10 days straight in complete silence. I was like, oh. Is that hard? So you done fine. one of those. Is that, is that really hard? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's challenging. There, there, yeah. Was, there, there was days where I thought, oh, I got this. And then the next day I was fucking crying in agony. <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, it's challenging. And I think, um, you know, it's, it's hard for everybody in different ways, I'm sure. Um, the physical, the mental, the emotional, the spiritual. But for me, the struggle or the challenge was sitting with me. And um, yeah. what I recognized while I was there, because, you know, there's a meditation that you're being taught. There's a practice following your sensations through the body. It's an embodiment thing. Um, and I was trying to do the steps and not being taught that from a young age and having a monkey mind my whole life, you know, it's pretty hard to override the monkey mind. And so I'd follow the steps and sometimes I'd go deep into that meditation and sometimes it would be harder than others, but I'd always end up in my thoughts, you know? And then once I'd realize I'm in my thoughts, I'd be like, Oh fuck, go back to the meditation. And then I just started to become frustrated with myself. Like, Oh my God, I can't do this. I'm so shit at this. Rah, 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 rah. And then the thought just entered me, like maybe you could say it landed from somewhere else. I don't know, maybe it came from myself, but I suddenly realized, hold on a second. I've actually got a lot of shit to think about that I've never allowed myself the space or the time to think about that I've actually yeah. avoided. I've avoided. Yeah. And so I just sat and then almost like a movie was turned on in my mind. I watched my entire life from like childhood all through my teens and 20s up until the point that I was there bit by bit, like the, it's amazing the amount of, um, clarity and the amount of, um, the amount of memories that just came out of nowhere that I'd hadn't thought about in years, just entered just like, whoa, oh, whoa. And what I got to figure out from that experience was like, we're all just like this beautiful, pure blank canvas. When we start, you know, it's just this sweet blank canvas and then life just happens around you and circumstances and all these different things just paint us into these unique different paintings and I'm not saying we're exactly the same canvas when we start but basically what I understood was like some of the stuff I'd carried shame for you know or I hadn't even realized I was carrying shame for but I realized in this moment because I was sitting with it I'd like retrace the steps and recognize how that was actually because I got influenced from this thing earlier on and then that thing was influenced from this thing and it's like all these little domino effects like creating the tapestry that i am um i left that meditation feeling like oh, i understand who i am and i know why i am who i am <laughs> yeah i am yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um it was just really yeah really profound so that's like the self-inquiry, right? It's like to ask yourself the questions, to peel back the layers, to try to understand who you are so that, you know, you can have more compassion for yourself. You can have more empathy for yourself. You can love yourself more because it's like, how do you love, how do you love when you don't understand or when you don't know, you know, you need to know something to love it. And I just didn't allow myself the time to know myself because for whatever reason, I was afraid of it. You know, I was afraid of who I am or, whatever it is, I just like, maybe I inherited this, you know, self-worth wound or 
whatever. I don't know where it really started completely. Like there's moments in my life that I can retrace and remember, but for whatever reason, I was like constantly running and I was running away from myself into crack pipes. I was running away from myself into sex. I was running away from myself into festivals and to fucking jokes and conversation and banter and, you know, whatever it was, it was just an avoidance of self. And, um, yeah, yeah, I think like the work, like to, (laughs) to try and summarize it and use word economy once again, is it's just like, getting to know yourself and peeling back the layers and then like finding tools and finding um, modalities that assist in that and help in that. Yeah, man. It's so interesting. So like I haven't really, I've shared it a little bit on the podcast, but I haven't spoken about it properly, but like it's just hit me today. And then as you're talking, I was fucking thinking about it, but cause like before I could, like, so my dad's like dying of like cancer, right? Like he's pretty, yeah, he's fun. pretty close. He's pretty close to like passing away. And it was funny. I was like driving away from the hospital today, just thinking like, fuck, like in that moment, I was like not thinking about anything else other than just like spending this like moment, <laughs> you know, like with, with my dad and making the most of the time and all this kind of stuff. And there's all this other shit going on in my life at the moment. That's like stressing me the fuck out that's happening, that's going on. And it's just like, it's weird when you have experiences like that and you have those moments where you realize like what really matters and that, and kind of that like nothing matters at the same time. (laughs) Um, And (laughs) you just got to kind of be where where you are. And it's weird when you do that, like the healing that kind of comes from it. It's, um, it's like a really strange process for me. It's annoying. It kind of, it often happens through like extreme fucking moments that like, what I just said then with my dad and stuff um, or like coming off drugs and feeling fucked and all this kind of jazz. But um, it, you are just taking me back to it then when you were just talking about just finding yourself and just being with yourself and kind of essentially just like being in the moment is like the start of that healing journey. Um, I wanted to ask, is there, is there anything like you mentioned you're running away? Is it, is there something in particular that you think that you're running from or you're not really sure um, or you don't think that there's like a thing or you know exactly what it is? Like, yeah, is there is there something in particular that you were running from? Um, first of all, I just want to acknowledge that your dad's passing away and that's really huge, bro. And um, yeah, give you love. Give you love for that journey. Thanks, thanks, man. Um, thanks, man. Yeah. Um, something particular that I was running from. Yeah. Like I don't have a clear answer or or a pre thought answer, but sometimes it's just like, what's the first thing that pops into your head and just say that, you know, in a situation like this, I'd rather um, offer an answer than sit in silence for too long to try and figure out the right one. So the first thing that's popping into my head right now is a fear of my, um, my own potential. Yeah. And that's like, that might be a bit of a cliche and I feel like it's, I feel like what it like to break it down. It's almost like as a child, if I always believed that I was something special and I was going to do great things, then to actually try is to be at risk of failing and at risk of being wrong about myself. Yeah. And potentially like the idea of not trying just felt safer. And, um, yeah, I remember, I remember (laughs) I've brought this up a couple of times and I brought it up in um, a podcast I did with doozy 
who then later became one of my, my best mates. And now he brings it up from time to time. He, he calls it now the Bart Simpson archetype. I don't think he's I use those he's words, a good but it guy. works. He's a good guy, man. He makes me laugh. He's like, he's like a tiny little guy just full of energy. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to keep up with sometimes, but he definitely gives you a motivational push. Um, but yeah, the, uh, the Bart Simpson archetype, which I inherited at a really young age, and it was almost like, you know, given to me from, from the people surrounding me. Yeah. But I, um, I look back at that and it seems so insignificant, this cartoon character, but it actually is just hugely significant because we're looking for role models and we're looking for guide guidance all around us, especially at that young age. And something I recognize I inherited from Bart Simpson was not caring. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't care about school eat my shorts, like don't have a cow, like who cares? Like it was like this idea that it was cool to not care. And, you know, in silly, stupid ways I can look at, like I'll give examples, like in sports classes or whatever, where the teacher says, all right, it's time to stretch. I'd never stretch because I thought that that meant I cared. You know what I mean? It was like, fuck, that's so <laughs> stupid. Like I want to stretch now because I know it's good for my body, which makes my life better. But at the time when I was younger, I was like, oh, caring about stretching is not cool or putting sunscreen on because you you care whether you get burnt. And like, but then that like that just snowballed into so many other things. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know how I brought that up. I can't even remember the question, but <laughs> I, I relate, I relate to that. It's, um, it's really interesting. I, I've never heard anyone say that, but I, I was a hundred percent. I used to be like that as well. Um, just with like stupid shit, just, just like, yeah. just trying to, just this thing, just trying to be cool all the time. I don't know. Fucking totally. Yeah. That's it really down the wrong path. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's at the crux of so much. It's like when you, when you really, really, really turn it back, it's like, we all have this deep craving and need for belonging. And then yeah. what that becomes when you drive it forward is we, we want to be cool or we want to be liked, you know, we want people to like us and, you know, being like, oh, I don't care. It's like, oh, I'm just trying to be cool because that's what I think is cool. And, you know, that's what people will like about me. Or, you know, being that wild character, that's what I thought I needed to do to be liked. And, you know, because I had, had this self-worth wound and I was avoiding and abandoning myself so much, I was doing whatever I could to get others to like me to fill up that space. Um, yeah. 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 Super interesting. Uh, you you won't remember the conversation, but I, I can remember stuff like this with people because like, when we yeah, like in that chapter, there were people just, yeah, like essentially everybody was just like fucking up their life or whatever. But I remember when like, you know, like I remember like Jimmy going through this stage where he was like trying to do better. And I remember you had a, st I don't know, well, I don't know if it was that, but I remember you had a stage like that. And I remember thinking, fuck man, this guy like has it together. I was standing at Caulfield Park and you had this job at like the MCG working with like big yeah. screens or something like that. And you had a like, yeah. you had a good looking girlfriend and all this kind of shit. And I remember thinking like, how does this guy do it? How does he like, you know, like use drugs and do all this stuff and like have this good life um, <laughs> and just sort of like strive for like better um, with all this other stuff going on. Um, but like little do you know when you talk to people that there's just this whole other world happening inside your head. Like, did you often have that push and pull happening where you were like constantly like in the back of your head kind of thinking, I know that there's like a better, um, a better existence for me or for a while there were you just kind of stuck in the vortex of like destruction? Mm. Um, 
I don't think there was like a getting ahead and then getting sucked back in kind of a vibe. I just feel like I was in it and then I wasn't. And, yeah. um, and it wasn't, it's not exactly that black and white, but it, it feels like in a way it almost feels simple like that. But it's funny because you bring up that time when I was working at the MCG and, you know, what I, what I look back at in that time um, behind the curtain, you know, for more yeah. of the story to build in what, what you created in your mind at the time. I was still using shard. I was not really like succeeding. I think something that I've always had an ability to do is to create an idea of success. <laughs> and also for whatever reason, I'm, I've always been handed really good opportunities. And yeah. um, maybe that's because I have a good ability to get people to like me. So they want to give me things. Yeah. Um, but I also at the time was taking advantage of that and not really deserving of a lot of the opportunities or the things that I was given. Um, so that beautiful girlfriend that you're talking about, her family took me in and I was living in a really well-off, you know, mansion in Malvern with a family yeah. that was completely providing for me and loving, <laughs> loving of me. Yeah. And I took advantage of it. Like if I'm real and I haven't said this publicly, but I look back and I'm like, wow, you little fucking shit, you know, like <laughs> really, really took advantage of it. I was, I was dealing drugs out of their house. You know what I mean? Like it was really disrespectful. Um, yeah. And, you know, I loved the girl, my girlfriend at the time, but also like I was so much more obsessed with myself that I was yeah. just didn't treat her as good as she deserved to be treated. Um, so there's one of the, the, one of the, one of the three things you mentioned there was the good looking girlfriend. So yeah, I wasn't really succeeding. I was just kind of like le using leverage and then the MCG job. Uh, one of my good friends, Hannah, who sadly passed away, um, she, her dad, his, his name's Tony has become a very close friend of mine since, um, her dad gave me that job and he, the job was called inscribing which meant that the office in south melbourne i'd get all the ads prepared for the footy games or the cricket games and then during the game i'd go in and i'd sit in the box box office media room and i'd put things onto the big screen and this and that but i didn't even do that job well so this this bloke gives me this amazing job opportunity where i was getting paid good money and it was like you know it was a five day a week full-time kind of position and um I'd be fucking coming to work completely sleep deprived. I'd like fuck up the ads when I'd put them, get them all ready on the computer. <laughs> then I'd have to put them onto a tape. And when I'm in the media room recording them onto the tape, I'd be secretly sleeping. And I'd even managed to be out of my, t my cubicle. I faced the corner. My laptop was in the corner. So I had my back to everyone else. And I'd, I figured out how to sleep sitting up, looking at my computer, just so nobody <laughs> knew. So it's like, I was completely taking the piss. And even when I was at the MCG for those games, I was like, I, didn't, I was too afraid to bring a crack pipe and, you know, get caught with smoke plumes in the toilet. So I'd just like crush up shard and I'd snort it in the toilet and I'd come back like wide eyed staring at the screen. And, you know, I thought I was getting away with it, but I'm sure that they were all aware that I was fucking cooked and nobody wanted me working there except Tony, who was the boss because it was a yeah. personal relationship. So they were all kind of like against me and, you know, I, I just took the piss as well, just disrespected the opportunity that he gave me there too. And, um, and then even through that as well, like I, <laughs> it's funny on that year or those couple of years working there, I ended up with this opportunity to, um, to curate a $250,000 graffiti jam at South Melbourne. Do you, did you wow. ever hear, hear about that? The nah, Project Melbourne nah. Underground? 
No, no. Right. So the the business I worked for was owned by a man named Harold Mitchell for Mitchell's Communications Group, which is a billion dollar business. And they built a brand new building in South Melbourne, which is like a four level building with a three level basement car park. And Harold Mitchell that year watched the Banksy documentary and he was just like, wow, that's amazing graffiti. He's like, I want some. So in whatever conversation he had, Tony was in the room and he talked about wanting to get the basement level, you know, painted up. And Tony's like, oh, Paddy, Paddy's in the graffiti world. Let's get him to do it. And I was like, all right, sweet, I'll do it. But I was also just like, whoa, this is dope. I involved um, Serum, Serum's serum saw the opportunity and it blew it up way bigger than it would have been had i just done it on my own we got like five artists from overseas like national national celebrities in the graffiti world to fly in we got artists from all over australia 90 um artists in total came together and we did this basement level car park but once again it was like this incredible opportunity that I just took the piss. Like I was cooked the whole time. I was going to the little <laughs> storeroom where all the iron lac was stored and smoking pipes with other graphers that I'd never met, you know? And I look back at that and I'm like, fucking hell, like, you know, all these opportunities for success. But I was just like, not ready to let my identity die. Yeah. And that one in particular, it kind of hurts. Cause I look back and I'm like, wow, there was like Australia's best graffiti artists all in one spot. Plus five of the world's best flew in here to, to be there. And that was a great opportunity for networking and making connections and friends and building memories. But I was just this like younger cunt just cooked and just didn't even know how to have a conversation um, <laughs> that totally missed that opportunity. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's funny because, yeah, you know, that, that idea of what you said from one conversation and an idea of like where I was at. But, yeah, we never really know what's going on. A hundred percent. Yeah, it's so interesting. It's like with with like a few of our mates that like so this was like years ago all kind of on the start of our journey but like i was like i think i was like 30 days into like being sober and then you know because we all used to like and leo's been on the show but yeah like we all used like for a while we just used to every day like smoke bongs at leo's house and then like the main people that would hang there they all kind of got like sober roughly in that like following year and it was so weird just to go around and like talk to everyone and just go like fuck the like <laughs> we had no idea that like you were fucking super depressed or like this mm. was going on or that was going on you know there was just like all this shit going on behind the scenes that no one would ever really like expose and i guess yeah you never really sit around and talk about that shit when you're doing drugs with people um (laughs) uh but yeah it's just it's just funny what people have going on uh underneath the surface so changing up gears really quickly i wanted to ask you um you mentioned psychedelics so what kind of role have they played in this whole like journey for you um did they come in at the start or have they come in recently or like how's it kind of been and how's it happened for you yeah um I just realized I'm so curious about like what your story is now. I'll have to listen to the other episodes, <laughs> I guess. But um, it's just like, yeah, because that, that mutual chapter where you were, you're in my field and then, and then you weren't. And I'm like, what happened? Um, but yeah, I'm the one being interviewed. So <laughs> the question was uh, psychedelics. Yeah. Uh, I had my first trip of acid. It was, I just took half a tab. I, I don't know. Like, I think that there was always something I was... Um, afraid of and i think that intuitively it was that these things reveal 
what's going on on the inside in one way or another. Um, they're great revealers, you know what I mean? And being a person who was avoiding myself and, um, whatever was piling up on the inside, there was something I was hesitating around that stuff. Um, but I took a half tap of acid on a festival, which was just a beautiful, really, really loving and fun experience. And then didn't really get into it for some years after that, but it's more so been something that I've opened up to since going sober. And when I say going sober, like that story I told before, that was, that was like three years completely off everything. Even during that time, I wasn't drinking coffee for most of that time as well. And, um, yeah, I was taking it super seriously and eventually I felt like in some word you used earlier, I was like the relationship changed. Like I feel like I took enough time to rein it back in to myself to be like, yeah. all right, I can now approach this from a different perspective and I can build a new relationship. Like let's just call the old relationship completely toxic, abusive. Now I can create a relationship of, you know, um, harmony and medicine basically because it's i feel like everything has a potential to be either medicine or or poison it's just about how we approach it and how we use it and i fully fully believe in the power of plants like plant medicine particularly psychedelics you know we can call the those plant plant medicine psychedelics but we can also bring in acid um amongst other things but i started to during COVID, I started to microdose with mushrooms. This is before I'd taken a big trip. This is since I went full sober, you know, yeah. and I was starting to dabble and open myself back up. It was microdosing with mushrooms. And that was like like a an eighth of a gram every four days or something like that. And um, I've never microdosed. Does that does that open you up? Like do you, or do it for you? It's super subtle, but yes, it does open yeah. you up. Well, it, it opened me up. Um yeah. But in really subtle ways, like I would do it in like a ritualistic way in the morning. And then I'd just like probably have a nice long walk. It was during COVID. So there wasn't a lot that we could do out in the world. But I definitely felt like um, it was helping me progress on my journey and in and developing and cultivating my strength and my power. Um, so, yeah, I opened up with it in that way, started to form that respectful relationship again um should should mention as well earlier on in my life i got really fascinated in dmt in fact discovering what dmt was is what opened me up and began my spiritual journey just the just the concept of other dimensions that you can visit which you know you can map out and visit and people enter the same places was just like oh wow well that sounds like proof to me that there's more than meets the eye yeah so yeah once once i got my hands on dmt it was something that i really um explored and this is before it was like a well-known thing as well i kind of found it before a lot of other people did um in my circles at least um but yeah there there was a time where i like i was like all right i've explored that i'm done with that i don't want to like open that door again at least for a while until i can re-establish a new relationship and um yeah i guess the relationship began with myself and then it was like all right now i can bring these other things in and yeah, I don't know, to like fast forward and, you know, put that all in a nutshell. It was just like a, it's like I said earlier, it was just like foreplay to begin with and then like building and building and building. And um, some of the experiences I've had since those microdoses during COVID is um, five grams of psilocybin mushrooms in a cave in the middle of the Nullarbor alone during my rite of passage journey around Australia. 
I also did a seven gram mushroom journey on Christmas in uh, Western Australia, which is um, really good story on my on my podcast. If anyone wants to listen to it, <laughs> Paddy Wagon <laughs> Podcast, I tell the whole story of taking seven grams of mushrooms, connecting with Tupac, Eminem, Dr. Dre, Jay Z. <laughs> um, Dr. Dre wasn't there, sorry, I mixed those up. Jay Z was there, Beyonce was there. Jay Z was like, "Hey, bro, you and Beyonce, like, if you want, it's all good." I was like, "All right, sweet." Like, <laughs> it was like the the message within that was everything is possible, and we we have access to abundance. Um. Anyway, listen to the episode; it's very very interesting. But yeah, oh, some I'm other experiences I've had since I've opened up the the medicine, plant medicine, and psychedelic world is um, ayahuasca in the middle of the Amazon. Um, that was actually when my mum passed away while I was in a one week ayahuasca retreat, which is a whole nother story as well. Um, wow. and yeah, peyote, peyote has been a really big one for me as well. Sitting in TP in traditional peyote ceremonies. I've done many of those as well. So you've gone, you've gone out and, um, and, um, and, and done, done these plant medicines, like in the, in the middle, like in traditional Amazon kind of. I don't know if you call it cultures, but settings and stuff like that. It sounds like, like it's not just been, I'm sure you've done it other ways as well, but yeah, it sounds like you've gone through and done like the authentic experience. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm deeply fascinated by tribal cultures um, and these types of practices. The ayahuasca I, I did in the Amazon, which is traditionally where it's from, but um, not so much in a, well, not in a, um native village it was more in a retreat center and um the facilitator the maestro his name is hamilton Souther. he's a gringo shaman so not traditional blood lineage but he was mentored by um a traditional custodian of that um practice in a yeah. really really powerful and 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 um really powerful way so yeah the the way that he holds the space is traditional yeah. Man, I'm fascinated by all that stuff and it really hits home for me. Um, of course, you, you would, re you, you know, like Sammy D who passed away. Um, I'm still like uh, close with his his dad and, and mom. And there's this guy that they're connected with. His name's like Paul Taylor. I've had him on the podcast and this, and he did it like early days, like before, um, yeah, before it was kind of well known or whatever. He's just he's like one of those crazy dudes. He's like a like in the British Air Force. He then came and became like a neuroscientist. He's like really into exercise and shit. He's just like one of those hectic kind of characters. Anyway, he went into the Amazon and did ayahuasca like years and years and years ago. Um, and he said it was like a life changing experience. But he said that there was like heaps of um, like heroin addicts in in mm. the um, in, in the group that he was with and they all had like these life changing and it just like, it just like I've spoken to Sammy's dad about it, but it just like, it just shatters me like to think that fuck, like maybe, yeah. maybe that that can be like a solution for people. And what if people had have found that, you know, to yeah. like have some sort of awakening or experience or whatever it might be. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's, I, I don't know if it would or not, but yeah, it's just, it's some of that shit. Like I wish it was more, I wish it was more like available to people, you know, um, to, to totally, try. Bro. Yeah. yeah. And I, I really hear what you're saying and I feel the same way and, you know, bringing up Sammy, Sammy, Sammy's someone I've, thought of from that time or out of like the large selection of friends of ours who have passed away. And I've often thought about Sammy and felt that if he 
his time wasn't cut short, I feel like would be hanging out. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, yeah. a lot of a lot of people from, you know, those times in my life, I've I've lost touch with. And um, yeah. sometimes I feel like I've got a really small amount of close, long lasting friendships because so many of them have died. Um, yeah. But just because they died doesn't mean that we'd still be hanging out today if they hadn't have died. You know. But I've I've I feel sore in the heart to think of Sammy and like just the type of personality that he was. And I just feel like, <laughs> you know, he, he was one of the first people I knew that was getting into the gym and getting fit and stuff like that. And he was like, he had that kind of direction mentally, you know what I mean? And it was just unfortunate that drugs got their hold on him in the way that they did. Um, but yeah, I also feel, you know, the sadness, I guess like ultimately like whether it was an overdose or an accident or, or suicide within, you know, this, um, these people that have passed, the time wasn't done because not everything was tried and not every option was turned, yeah. you know, and like the thought of like had this person or that person discovered ayahuasca or this or that or whatever it was or yoga or, you know, whatever, just like self-inquiry of Vipassana, like surely things could have been different a hundred percent. And the hard thing to hold on to is just to think that it sucks that that, that time wasn't able to have happened. Yeah. yeah. Super interesting. Is that why you want to create like the retreat that you're talking about? Like not, maybe not just specifically for that, but, and I'm not sure what the retreat is about, but um, is, is that kind of all that stuff that you just spoke about then, does that sort of like fuel and, and push a lot of the stuff that you're doing now with the retreat or other like mental health workshops that you do with people or just general creative stuff where you're trying to help people? Yeah, I think um, it's definitely um, one of the core values of my intention to do good in the world um, is largely to offer people opportunities that I wasn't offered, um, largely to offer people um, different pathways to get to the same common goal. Um, the mental health workshops I'm doing in high schools, that's like, you know, that's providing young men with a positive male role model, which I was desperate for at a young age, but I had no idea. And instead of having positive male role models around, I selected negative role models, which really, um, you know, that's the kind of the misguided beginning. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, there's, there's so much to offer from, you know, what I feel the world needs and a lot of what the world needs wasn't available for me. And so, yeah, I want to try to offer that to others, not just because I didn't get it and I want to do better for the world in that way, but just generally because this is what the world needs. I think um, a reconnection to our ancestors is really important to look back and like uncover and, and listen and take in wisdoms from like native cultures that are still existing today um, as well as our own ancestry, just to like reconnect to our, like our bloodline, I feel like is really powerful as well. Um, embodiment practices, nature-based skills. Um, there's so many things I want to do at the retreat space, but one thing in particular is it's one hour north of the city. So it's not an inconvenient distance to go. And I just think that even That's awesome. to simplify it to the level of to grow up in a city grid, of light pollution, noise pollution, concrete is so unnatural for the body that in thousands and thousands of ways, it's 
not good for us. You know what I mean? And I'm not against the city. I fucking love it. You know, there's things <laughs> I love about the city. I love the grit. I love the fucking edge. But at the same time, I fully believe that we're, we're, we're animals, you know, we're like, we're of the earth and we need to be in communion with the earth. And so one simple way that the retreat can help is just to provide a space that people can just like tap out for a day and then go home, whatever, yeah. you know, just small that. things like that. Mm. It is magic. Uh, uh, we, we just, uh, um, the other week we went away for Leo's box and we went to Dalesford and, um, it was a bit random. We're all sober and just fucking idiots. In That's what I thought, actually. Yeah. When you sent me that photo, I was like, yeah. Leo's in a dress, but he's sober. Like, what, <laughs> what's going on? Like, what, what does a sober bucks look like for you guys? Uh, it's, uh, it's weird. When we did mine, it was, real, it, was real, it was real weird, man. And I felt super uncomfortable. And they wanted me to do all this shit that naturally, if I had a belly full of grog or like something, I would do it. But I yeah. didn't want to do it sober. Anyway. Um, we ended up taking Just quickly off the dress. As well, like, yeah, sorry, go that? on, go on. No, 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 you go first. We, we ended up, we ended actually ditching the dress because like <laughs> we walked down the street and we just got the vibe that it just wasn't actually cool, um, with people and we're like, <laughs> all right, maybe it's not cool. So we'll just, we'll just take it away. <laughs> what were you yeah, going to cool. say? Um, I just had a funny thought as well of like, um, I don't know what Leo's Bucks was like, and maybe it's like what happens at the Bucks stays at the Bucks, but in most common traditional Bucks parties, there's strippers that are invited. And I was just thinking how funny it would have been for a stripper to be invited to a sober Bucks and how disappointing because most of the time they're getting given cocaine as well or like yeah. or cocktails or whatever. It's more, more exciting and fun for the stripper, but a sober Bucks, maybe not so much. Well, we didn't, we didn't have any strippers. We actually had that conversation that like we could get a stripper and then we we're just like, it's just going to be pretty weird. Just like, six seven dudes just sitting around in a room like with one chick just giving leo a lap dance like that's fucking weird you know what i mean it is weird <laughs> isn't it? but doesn't doesn't that highlight doesn't that highlight the whole thing around drugs and alcohol right because and even that behave that behavior in general because it's like oh we're sober we have no excuse to be doing this yeah. you know what i mean like we should know better and we do yeah. And we yeah. can't, we can't blame this or we can't blame that. Um, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. I actually, uh, I went to a Bucks recently as well. My friend Josh's Bucks, he, um, instead of a Bucks party, he called it a Bucks portal and it was really <laughs> beautifully, beautifully done. It was all his best, um, best mates, including his ex-girlfriend, who's one of his best mates and also on the groom's circle. Um, we were all together at this Airbnb with a pool and just this beautiful house and, um, yeah, there was a little bit of drinking and other things going on, but largely it was like, it was not the traditional idea of what that's supposed to be, but it was very much structured around rite of passage. And so there was like challenging experiences for Josh to overcome, but largely it was about preparing himself to marry his partner by first marrying himself. So we held a marriage ceremony for him where he had to read <laughs> nice. vows to himself. And then we all honored him and we sat down one at a time in front of him and gave him our deepest honoring for him as a character. And it was largely this major commitment ceremony from him to himself and also from us to him um, to send him on his way to be able to have that, to bring it to a, to a marriage. It was really, really special. I like it. That's cool. It's cool. And mm. this is the shit like people listening to this might think that, um, well, cause I, I'll talk, I'll talk in, um, first person language. 
if I had have listened to this like a couple of years ago, even, um, I would have thought like, that sounds so whack. Uh, like I would never <laughs> do something like that, but it's actually, it's actually really like fun. And, and it's funny, like everybody drops in and like does shit. We do this other thing at Christmas and then like, you know, the year before we like set goals and then we come back, we like talk about it, talk about like highs and lows and shit. And it's really weird. Like everybody like really drops in and like really gets into it mm. and like starts like talking about it. And it's, um, it's like a really wholesome fucking experience. Like when you walk away, you like, you actually had a good time. You enjoyed it and you, you know, you really like connect. It's interesting. It's interesting how that shit shifts. Yeah. Um, do you, but what do you do gonna, that with your family for Christmas? No, we do that. We do that with like Leo and cans and stuff and, and things like that oh, as well. Cool. A few other mates. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty good. I actually saw um, cans the other day. It was, it was beautiful. Yeah. He was, he was saying, he was saying, um, and, and he's like, he's, he said, you do an SQL on the podcast. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're all like, oh, I can't wait to listen. So they'll all be listening. Yeah, that's sick. Uh, they'll be it happy was actually to like, shout out. It was, yeah, shout out Cairns. Big shout out Leo as well. <laughs> um, it was really special actually because I've, I haven't heard from Mark, Marcus in a long time. Um, but I've tried to get onto him and hadn't, hadn't gotten through to him, but he messaged me out of nowhere. Just like, Hey bro, listen to your album. I love it so much. When I listen to it, I feel like I'm close to you, this and that. And I just messaged him like, bro, let's, uh, let's have dinner tonight. And he came and we had dinner on Chapel street and then we just caught up. I told him my story. He told me his story. And then he said he was going to a, a meeting, a narcotics anonymous meeting. And he invited me. And at first I was like, Oh, nah, I've got to do this, got to do that. And then I was like, actually, like, I don't need to do any of that. Like this is, I, I'm a doors opening here for me, you know? And yeah. I was like curious. So I went along with him and it was actually the first time I've ever been in that space. And it was super, super fascinating. And I really loved it. Like, honestly, it was a beautiful way to end my day. Um, I didn't know how any of it operated. There was one person at a time talking and I've sat in a lot of like check-in circles, I would call them where like people just like yeah. check in with what's going on for them. And um, so I've like sat in those spaces often. And what I was really struck by in the narcotics anonymous circle was how self-aware everybody was and how zero ego there was like people were just like showing up with their full truth. And, um, it didn't feel like there was any agenda. They weren't trying to achieve anything from each other. They were just like showing up because they felt that they needed to, and they were doing it in a really authentic way. Um, yeah. And it struck me. It was a really beautiful experience. That's awesome, man. Yeah, it's a cool space. Like, um, I don't go anymore, but it's um, it definitely from for a lot of like the spiritual stuff that you're talking about. It kind of that's what set the foundation for me, um, and does go like pretty kind of deep with some of that spiritual spiritual stuff and gives and opens up a couple portals or windows um, into yourself, mm. which is which is pretty cool. Um, so speaking of your album, man, I've got it up on my screen here. I can't, I don't think you can fully, oh, there we go. Um, we, we got it up, the new stuff going on. My, my favorite song is 9101. Is that how you say it? Or do you say, or do you say 9101? How, how do you actually? Yeah, they Spotify didn't allow a hyphen. So I just call it 9101. Um, but that one's not on the album. That's a single, but yeah, it's, it's most people's favorite. It's a banger. Yeah, that's that's my favorite. So um, everybody, uh, check out Patty on uh, Spotify for his for his hip hop. Oh, it's Esky on Spotify. You won't find it if you type in Patty. <laughs> um, but where else can people? <laughs> You'll find, find my man? podcast though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nice, nice. Um, 
where else can they find me online? Uh, music wise, I'm on Spotify. You can go to my website, paddywagon.com. Um, you can also type in paddywagon podcast on, on Spotify. I took out the A's cause it was taken. Um, yeah. Instagram, all, all the shit. Love it, man. Love it. Hey, thanks for coming on, man. It was a blast. Um, uh, and yeah, appreciate you, dude. It's, it's just, uh, it's, it's really good. Like, it's good to see anybody doing well, but it's good to see people that I know um, and I know kind of where they've been doing really well. So, uh, yeah, it's fucking cool, man. Um, so keep rocking it. It's awesome. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. And, yeah, it's also, yeah, I haven't um, I haven't had too much of a dig, but I have heard for a while that you're doing big things and great things for the world. So I'm really happy happy that you're doing that too, man. And thank you on behalf of all of us for um, doing your, doing your part. And yeah, I love that you brought up shout outs before. So like shout out Marcus, bro. It was so good to see you. Shout out Leo. I miss you. I'd love to see you. Cheers for the invite to the Bucks, by the way, brother. And um, yeah, shout out Sammy. Sammy D got mentioned as well. I want to shout out Nathan Task. Two rest yeah. in peace stories there. And Glaze, like those were some of the crew that we had in Mutual as well. So love to all of uh, all of these guys and all of their family. And um, yeah, thanks so much for having me, brother. Awesome, man. No problem at all. No problem at all. Um, peace, everybody. Have a good day. Bye.